0: But before Daniel comes up to preach, and Nathan's going to come and bring us our reading from Matthew chapter 9. Thanks. Thanks. If you want to get your Bibles open, that'd be great. As Neil said, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be starting to read at verse 35. And going through to 10, verse 1. That's on page 974 in the church Bibles. So Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed And helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. Amen.
1: Funny the story he was telling about a little prayer triplet in Cambridge. This is what really happened. And if you're scared ever to tell somebody you're a Christian, or if you're not a Christian today and you think, well, it might be a bit awkward if I was, because I'm not really sure how you do it. You know, those knocking knees at the thought of, of ever saying anything in a world where people aren't... A bit nervous of religion. Let me tell you Garrett Lippiatt's story. Garrett Lippiatt's mum and dad, uh, I had known for some years, and they called me and said, "Our son's just graduating from Loughborough. He he's definitely wants to follow Jesus, but he's very shy, he's an extremely shy boy. He won't even ask if he can join the one-year training scheme that you run in Cambridge." We're asking for him <laughs> <He> who's twenty one <laughs> So anyway, we, he comes along to Cambridge. and in September you'd go into groups of three with people having a gap year from university, and you'd say, what we're going to do now this term we're going to say a prayer every week, we we'll sit for a few minutes together we'll all join a sports team. Uh, which is quite hard, isn't it, when you move to a new city, but you get to know people, you see, so you join a sports team, and every week we'll say a prayer for members of our team to see what happens. But lest you just say prayers and not try and hide behind only saying a prayer, before term ends in December, we're going to all meet up for lunch before you all go home, and uh, we're going to invite the friends that you're saying a prayer for. And then they can meet other people who are sports people and Christians. And maybe somebody will say something about being a Christian. But don't you worry about it. You just say a prayer. So Lipiat was in my little three. And he signed for this football team called Ely City. And uh, he said, um, I said, who, have you, who are you praying for then, uh, Gareth? And he said, y- yeah, um, I haven't really talked to anybody. I don't know what to do so this went on for a month I say no, you do know don't you at Christmas you'll have to go home you can't stay <laughs> you know you're here to train to be a sportsman who tries to say something to other sports people in a normal way about following Jesus you can't stay if you don't do it you know God because that's what we're training you for and the fifth week he said listen I've thought of something can I pray for somebody who was in my house at University at Loughborough he said, "Because I think I could talk to them easier." I said, "What are they called?" He said, "Well, one of them is called Wells." So I said, "All right, you could pray for Wells then, whoever Wells is." So he said, I couldn't say calling from the beginning because it was Wells, Wells or oh Wellsy. pray for Wells. So he said a prayer for Wells every week, and then we come towards towards the end of term. I say, "Now, have you spoken to Wells?" No, I haven't spoken to him. I'm just praying for him. <laughs> I said, well, can you phone him? No, I can't phone him. I can't phone him. We shared a house far long? three years, I think. I, I I can't phone him. So I said, well, write him a letter. <laughs> so he wrote, well, a letter to say he was doing a Christians in Sport training year. And he was a Christian. And he just wanted to say to Wellesley that he was. And would Wellesley like to come and visit us at the end of term for lunch What's that cheap pub called? Weatherspoons. Weatherspoons, Weatherspoons, yeah. Because all students are all poor. But weatherspoons. And that started a process which helped Colin Wells consolidate his understanding of the Christian faith and become an adult man who chose to acknowledge following Jesus. I mean, ever so simple. But terrifying for Lepiette, isn't it? He's a lovely boy. I'm still in touch with him. He's a lovely boy. He's still a bit shy. Because we're all different, you see. That's the point, isn't it? We're all different. So it's my privilege, huge privilege, to be with you today. And we could have talked about Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20 because it is the great commission. I'm sorry for the other commissions in the New Testament that this one's called the great one, really, because the others are pretty good. Uh, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. At the beginning of Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, in chapter 4, verse 11, as if he's driving towards the Great Commission, Matthew writes this, For the early disciples, Jesus says to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So, do you see, go make disciples of all nations. And he he leaves them with no surprises when they start out. When he first meets them, he says, Yes, come and follow me. Here's the mandate. I'll make you fishers of men. So we're left in no doubt what Jesus' plan is, that somehow He, having coming into the world, will prepare people to pass on the simple message that God came into the world to die, to beat death that we might live. And it's terribly unsophisticated. And you can strip everything about church, and everything about our meetings, and everything away, and say, right, what's the deal? Well, the deal is he will make us capable of passing on great news. And he leaves the story at the end with that. This is it. But right in the middle, which is where we'll focus for a few minutes today, there's a wonderful piece. It's also in Luke's account in chapter 10. But we're going to look at that little short reading that Nathan read for us in Matthew 9 verse 36. Jesus gives them a training exercise. He actually sends the disciples out in pairs in chapter 10 to have a go at fishing for men. A brilliant coach. So it wasn't just intellectual or cerebral from the Lord Jesus Christ. He set them to work and they would analyze how it went. So we're going to get a short insight into what it is to lead the church of Jesus Christ Because the job of a pastor and teacher of the Church of Jesus Christ is to prepare God's people to make disciples. Because those who are set apart to pastor and teach us are there to facilitate us to prepare God's people, as the Apostle Paul says, for works of service. They are there To set us up, to succeed. If you like, this is a training session. Work starts when you walk out of here. Actually going to make disciples for Christ, fishing for people, is what we're sent out to do. This is like a Thursday night training session at sport. The game is Saturday. Where all priests teaches the Bible. All of us have the privilege of being garot yet. So if I'm honored to speak at Wellesley's induction into ministry at this church, I want to say that to him. If you ever lose sight of that, you're shot. Because it all becomes too corporate. And it all becomes too much about internal politics. And it all becomes too much about our group. It must be about fishing for men. How can it be anything else? How can it not be about disciples in all nations? And now we'll look at the training. And and I hope it helps Colin, obviously, It certainly helps me speaking on this, and I hope it helps you. Come on, let's dive in. I've given three headings to it. Here's the first. Uh, The mission of Jesus is what I've called it, uh, simply enough. And the motive for mission is the first of three headings. Here's Jesus' motive for mission. 936, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What do you see when you see a crowd? When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When I walked down, I don't know, I walked down King's Parade in Cambridge yesterday where I live and there's loads of people walking towards me. Or I went to a football match against Barnet, Cambridge United against Barnet. There weren't loads of people at that one, but I was there. (laughs) I see people. I see people. I see cool people unsophisticated people and people who live on the streets and smart-looking people and very nice-looking people. I often see people who scare me a little bit if I have to work with them or if I'm at a football club with them, which is where my hobby time is all spent, because they're kind of together because it's Cambridge and it's the South of England and it's nice and everything. Sometimes I'm scared it's easy to give a talk in church for me. It doesn't sound—it sounds a bit big-headed, that, but it's not tricky. I'll tell you what's tricky for me, saying something about Jesus amongst people I don't know. That's scary. That really scares me. I like to pretend I can do it, but it's scary because if they don't know who I am and what my job is and what my role is and where I fit in society and I'm just a stranger amongst strong people, I don't quite know what to do about that. The Lord Jesus never thought like that. If you feel like that, look at the Lord Jesus Christ. When he saw the crowds, do you see what he had? Compassion. Because when he saw the crowds, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They weren't cool or smart or handsome or rich or well-to-do or down-and-out or poor. They were, and he's drawing an Old Testament picture, harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. Is a famous passage in the prophet Isaiah. God's people, without God, are sheep without a shepherd. They're mangled by the wolf. Now, my friends, this is offensive. This is an offensive way to speak. When God looks at us, he sees us as ripped and mangled by the wolf. But we say, well, I'm not. Well, I'm I'm not ripped and mangled by the wolf. I'm a hardworking person. I've got my life together. I do my best. I try and raise my kids well. I try and be a good friend and a good colleague at work. And so we should. And that's right and proper. But we can make no mistake of the responsibility of leading a church. Because people who lead a church have to help all of us to understand that the world around us, including ourselves, are ripped by the wolf. We're not cool. We're not what the exterior looks like. We are leaderless. And they're offensive words. Without Christ, one is leaderless. And when the storm comes, there's no one there. And so before Jesus even begins to say to them, go and try this out. Go and travel around Galilee, chapter 10, verse 1. Before he says try it, he gives them two massive principles. Here's number one of two. He has incredible compassion for Colin Wells. And Gareth Lipiot needed to learn that it isn't Gareth Lipiot's compassion that can help Wells. It's Christ's compassion. If my family's conversion to Christ depended on my compassion, they've no chance. You understand that, don't you? Think of your friends and neighbors and colleagues and people you love. If it hinged on how compassionate you were, they wouldn't have a chance, would they? Do you ever try saying a prayer and give up after two minutes? Do you ever say, I've really got to take this seriously and you forget for a month? Dear friends, there's only one person in the world who has enough compassion for every human being whose life is ripped by the wolf. Whatever front we have. And however together we are. It's Christ. So the great strength of a leader of a church is Christ's compassion that drives the mission. Not mine. Oh wow. What a relief. And here's the second great principle, and it's point number two of three. The motive for mission is Christ's compassion for mangled souls who have no leader to draw on in a time of crisis. Secondly, his theology of mission. Then Jesus said to his disciples, 37 to 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here's the second great principle of making disciples, of fishing for people, of growing the church, of building the kingdom. Here it is. It's his harvest field. Oh, my goodness. Stick with me on this. This is the relief of the universe. You can't make anybody a Christian. The pastor can't make anyone a Christian. The knocking needs skinny six foot two lip yet can't make anyone a Christian. No human being can make anyone a Christian. It's the compassionate God of the universe who enters a human mind and psyche and heart and soul and says, deep down, do you really not think that I love you? deep down, do you really not understand that I died for you? And that I have smashed the grave? I took a funeral on Thursday of my wife's husband's father. Two grandfathers, right? We've got grandchildren. He's my parallel. Two grandfathers. He's the same birth month as me. They're both the same age. I took his funeral Thursday. I say to a man on his deathbed, "You do know, don't you? You do know that even if you've never ever believed this, do you know that that box that you're going into in a couple of days is not the end?" But no human being did be frightened of saying that or manipulative or persuasive because only God can do it. A few years ago, we have a very small training budget at work and I spent it on going to something I can't name because I'll be sued for it. I was It's a long time ago because I was 38 and I'm 55 and it was in London and it was advertised as a course for young London professionals. Now at 55, 38 was young But at 38, it wasn't young. So I was neither young nor from London, because I'm from the real country. And, like Jeff, yes, young London professionals, and I've never been particularly professional. And I went on this course, and uh, this was a weekend course, and I thought, I'm always doing things like Christianity Explored, which is a thing to understand Christianity. What would it be like to go on a course which wasn't about Christianity, where they really believed it could change your life? I thought, what's it like to be on the receiving end? So I used my training budget to be on the receiving end of one. So I was in the center of London, Friday to Sunday. I went along. I was in a group of eight, 150 people, sort of life coach type person at the front, sitting on a high stool, looking ever so cool, uh, doing life coaching. And I was in a little group of eight and my group leader was called Wendy I shall never forget she had a badge it was that big like that Wendy Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. was in charge and uh, there was 8 of us sitting around in a circle with Wendy for our little group and, and thankfully at first I thought thankfully Wendy went anti-clockwise and we had to say who we were where we worked and why we'd come so I thought oh brilliant I was there so I went fantastic I'm last so Wendy goes so, um, Anthea, uh, tell us about yourself. And Anthea said, oh, um, well, I can't do her accent because it would look like I was taking off a posh accent, but it was ever so nice. Hello. Said, Hello, I'm Anthea. And uh, Anthea <laughs> said, uh, uh, I work at Coots Bank. Uh, and uh, she was very well-to-do. You know, a very striking girl in her 20s. And you know. the next one, you know, Philip. Every single one of them. Mega jobs absolutely strikingly pretty or handsome, all under 30, each and every one of them said this said, and why have you come, and they all said, well I did this course two years ago, one year ago changed my life forever best thing I ever did, I've told all my family and friends about it everybody does it, they come round to me, I'm thinking, let the bloke before me never have done the course (laughs) because he was about 28, he was about 6 foot 3 he was strapping, handsome I knew he worked in a good job and yeah. So, me, Graham, tell us about you. So, Wendy, you know, you do the charm thing then, don't you? You think, right, I'm in trouble here. So, well, Wendy, uh, I mean, fantastic answers. I'm so looking forward to the course. I mean, so enjoyable hearing how this works. I'm, I'm hoping to learn quite a lot. She said, oh, great, that's lovely. Tell us about yourself. I said, I'm 38 years of age, Wendy. Um, I grew up in Wales, um, and I work in a church. She said, have you done the course before? I said, "Uh, no, Wendy, I've never done the course before. And she said, can I just stop you right there? I said, yes, please do. (laughs) (laughs) And she looked at the group and she said this. She really said this. She really said this. She said, oh, what a pity. (laughs) Imagine if Graham had done this course when he was young. What he might have achieved in life. (laughs) This woman, I've never met her she doesn't know me and you know you have to smile don't you I'm a Christian so I, I, I smiled you know I said oh that's very interesting well I very much look forward to the day. but it was only 10 minutes to break I looked at the clock I thought oh 10 minutes the break I thought right if she, the loser down there if she goes down there I'll go after her and I'll kill her <laughs> no I didn't really think that well I did think it but I wouldn't have done it you know I, I wouldn't have done it Obviously, I wasn't going to do that <laughs> What did Wendy get wrong? I mean, the course was great. I mean, it was all weekend, and it was eight weeks like house group follow-up, and I went to all of them. It was really interesting. A brilliant diagnosis of the human condition, but no solution to it. Uh, but it was really interesting being on the receiving end. But here's what I think she did wrong. She was so excited about this thing she'd learned, and she was so passionate about it, and so convicted about it, That she had to tell people about it, but here was the fatal mistake. She could make you find a way to get a better life because she was capable of persuading you to do it. She was the lord of the harvest. And it changed the whole approach. Her whole approach was, I can make this happen because I've learned what to do and I'm good enough. And I'm powerful enough and strong enough. And you see, here's what happens in the human heart. Pride takes over. And pride has two manifestations. One, you're full of yourself. She couldn't help it. She was a nice girl. But she was full of herself. Well, I can make this happen. Actually, what you felt like in this course was you were a real thicko, a dimwit, if you didn't get it. And afterwards, I thought to myself, oh my word, I wonder if when I run courses about thinking about the Christian faith in Cambridge... I sound like Wendy. Well, of course, I'm a Christian because I've worked out that God came into the world and died and rose again, and he's changed everything, and he's eternity secure, and his spirit will live in you. Come on, you dimwit. Understand it. What's the matter with you? You're not as bright as me. You're not as well educated. What, emotional intelligence lacking? Come on, get a grip on yourself. It's you can do it because I'm telling you. And if you get people to join this course, or if you get people to come to church because of that Wellesie, here's what happens. You think, well, my church is class. I mean, there's a lot of people come to it. Don't want to brag too much, but I'm, you know, pretty good, obviously. We can get people engaged and we've got something about us that brings people in. And I mean, it's not right. You've got to be modest. You can't brag, but we are the bee's knees. <laughs> no, no, you're not though. You're not the Lord of the harvest. Get a grip on yourself. See, you're not. You're not. He is the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest field. And here's the opposite of pr- the pride manifests itself either as full of yourself or despair. Oh, we're useless. Or you might say, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm, use- well, nobody, see my family, most of my family don't know Jesus. I must be a train wreck of a parent. Well, listen closely to me. I'm old enough to know this. Listen really closely to me. Stop it. Get a grip on yourself. Stop thinking like that. You're not the Lord of the harvest. You are not the Lord of the harvest. It is bad theology. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. It's a mystery. It's sometimes sad. It sometimes hurts. But it is a proud person who says... I pulled it off, aren't we all perfect? Or I'm the disastrous failure, aren't we all a car crash? You're not the Lord of the harvest. Now watch what this does for a church. It liberates you. You don't have to manipulate anybody or anything to achieve this. The two great principles are there is somebody in the universe who made a hundred million galaxies. Who, when he looks at people in your street or your college or school or workplace or mums and toddlers group, when, they, when he looks at them, he has enormous compassion on them. Isn't that mad? More than you do. Miles more. When he looks at your kids or your parents or your best friends. He has so much more compassion than we do. Enough compassion to be smashed to a cross. (laughs) And here's the mystery which we'll never understand. Who's in charge? Who opens eyes to see the truth? Who brings new birth? Not you. God does it. He's the sovereign Lord of the harvest. And that's what we taught Lippiat. Mate, stop being full of yourself. What do you mean full of myself? I'm a failure. That means you're full of yourself. (laughs) Because you think you're the one who should pull it off, and you can't. Well, get a grip. Think clearly. You're not the Lord of the harvest. And it's not your compassion. So you know what you should do, mate? Write a letter to your pal. And invite him to Weatherspoons. (laughs) But that's it. Now here's the last question. Here's the last question. If the mission of Jesus is about his motive of compassion, if it's about the theology that he's in charge, let's earth it now at the, right at the beginning of chapter 10 verse 1, because we wouldn't have time, of course, to go to the rest. Here's the strategy and if I dare say so as just a a member of staff at a church uh, in Cambridge who directs Christians in sport if I dare say it not just to LZ but to Long Crendon Church including all guests and visitors what's the best strategy for a church to deploy if it's going to make disciples of all nations what what is it going to be what is it to teach them to obey everything everything I've commanded you well here's the strategy Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and sent them out oh come on he must have had some kind of advertising campaign media strategy I mean he must have put his budget together for this he's pulled together 12 slightly geeky weird unstable chaps and said go on on you go because it's not your compassion, uh, and actually it's not your talent either. So actually all you've got to do is actually say something. And you'd see in chapter 10, you've got to say something and be a bit better at being normal. Which is hard for some of us, right? But being normal, love people, and speak of me. What, is that your strategy then? So long crendon then, this is what you want the church to do. You want them to trust the compassion of God. You want them to trust the sovereignty of God. And you want them just to go and pass on their life and the message of Christ the best they can. Lipiut-like. Uh-huh. That's the strategy. Jesus, that will never work. Listen, you need much sharper people, much better organized, much, much, much more focused on the task in hand to pull that off. But you see, that is the question, is it? Did it work? Well, it's now 2017, and Wellesley tells a story about his growing up years, and then about Lipiot, and then onwards from there, right? And then, you know, Colin Welles, the pastor of a church, isn't it? I'm thinking that when he's five, are you? (laughs) Well he's playing sweeper for Warwick and do it, you know, here he is. Does this strategy work? Believe in the compassion of God. Believe in the sovereignty of God. Do your best to say something in your knee trembling, slightly awkward, but I care for my friend way. Forget trying to manipulate anything or force the issue, forget it. And this is what happens. I'll tell you what happens. I saw Joss Edwards on Friday. He is a boy who at 18 years of age went to camps and came to be trained by Wellesley. Joss Edwards is now 22. I said, Joss, I'm doing a Wellesley's induction to pastoral ministry on Sunday. Uh, Tell me about Welles. Give me a story. He said, easy. Easy. (laughs) He said, "Uh, my first week when he took me away somewhere with a group of young people, uh, we had a chat based on Ephesians 2. And uh, he said to me, here's the deal. Joss, you're a very good rugby player. He's Welsh. Uh, you're a very good rugby player. What you've got to come out of this year with is you've got to get stuck into rugby. I'm not saying you've got to like sport. Obviously, not everybody does like sport. The world's strange, but uh, not everybody does like sport. It could be the arts or music or choral societies. can be anything. But the, the advice in this particular context was just get stuck into rugby. Never lose your focus on it. You will meet people for the rest of your life if you stay in that, and you'll be able to pass on Christ. It won't be down to you to win people for Christ. You just pass on Christ. I said to Joss, is that the best thing you learnt in your gap year? He said, yes. I said, but you spent another eight months there. He said, I know the rest was all right, but that was the one. (laughs) He said, well, he said, go for it. Do you know where he was, Joss? He's in London. He's with a guy called Richard Corkin, who runs a church planting organization called Core Mission across the south of London. And he's there to train for a year with a guy called Matt Beebe, who was his leader at CAMP. Uh, who loves the gospel and wants to pass Christ on. I said, so what's the best thing that's happened since you've been here? He's been there three days. He said, I went training Thursday night at the rugby club. There's four people who are at University of Manchester there who've been in Manchester before me and we've already had a little bit of a chat about what I'm doing in London and it's very exciting. I said, what's your dream, mate? He said, oh, easy. Yeah, I know his dream since he's a little boy because I know his mum and dad, his parents, uh, parents, G, his dad's a GP, trained in London. Um, stayed at St. Helens Bishopsgate for a few years went back to North Wales and has funded church planting and Josh just dreams of learning how to be a pastor teacher in a local church so he can go back to Wales in a few years time and church plant isn't it amazing how it goes on so ladies and gentlemen here's the last question has the strategy worked (laughs) worked look at us there's a lot of people in a building in Buckinghamshire on a Sunday morning when you could be doing loads of stuff. Isn't it, though? Isn't it? You could be doing lots of things. And for some of us, we've been in a church for decades. Decades. And it feels like centuries. <laughs> and you've been here. And you think, no, I've got to go. I've got to belong because I know Christ. It works. It's worked since Jesus started it. And it'll work till he comes back. And there'll be people all over the globe. Millions and millions and millions of people who say, well, look, I'm just an ordinary woman. Here's the bottom line. There's somebody bigger than me in the universe. I worked out when I was 2 or 20 or 30 or 40, I worked out that there was a bigger one than me in the universe. And I worked out that he actually came into the world and he loved me so much and he took control of reaching me and he beat death on a cross and he drew me in and he paid the price for my rebellion and I know him look I'm not a great mum I'm not a great dad I'm not a best friend I'm not a fantastic person at work I'm not the best person at school but somehow somehow I worked out what the universe is about Christ is the key and Look, what I'm going to do is do my best, you know, until the finishing line comes. To live in the light of the wonderful gift of Christ. That's who I am. That's me. Warts and all. And a pastor of a church gets the privilege of saying, well, on my watch, until somebody else wears the shirt. Uh, I'm going to leave this shirt in a better place. Uh, because all I'm going to do is to make sure that the people I look after get this. Christ's compassion. Christ's sovereignty. Christ's sovereignty. Sends 12 ordinary people like me, like you in the name of Christ to go and live and it cracks on and it cracks on and it cracks on could it be simpler and yet we make it so complicated next time your knees knock remember this it's not my compassion for my workmate or my neighbour it's not my power to convert anyone it's his but he sent people like me Welzy never stop talking about that don't let him Hannah do not let him because right at the end of Matthew 28 the Lord Jesus says live like this make disciples and here's the closing line of Matthew's gospel I will be with you always where will we find the Lord Jesus most at work there, I'll be with you always until the end of the age, because that's what he'll keep doing, won't he? Till the end of the age. That's where we find the real joy of passing him along. There we are. Let me say a prayer for us. Best wishes, mate. A hey, top man. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these truths. Thank you for this church and the hunger here for a long time of ministry passed on from one to another to make this world a better place because of the message of God through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it in his name. Amen.